What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always, for a brand new episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. On this week's episode, I've got another brand new guest for you. I'm welcoming my good friend, Jonathan Gomez, to the podcast, and we're going to be talking about the randomization of who goes first, that being determined by a random method versus the lost soul count that comes out with the opening draw. So we'll talk about that and the impacts it had on deck building and the health of the game overall. And in addition, we also talked to my friend Jonathan about the recent online tournament that he won. We also talk about some conversation that's happening within the community on the health of the game. And we've got the online submission form ready to go for the plus one initiative. So get out there, share the game, share the gospel, and maybe win some prizes. All right, let's get into it. All right, thank you for joining for another episode of the Threshing Four podcast. I am here with another brand new guest. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing great, John. How are you? Fantastic. So for you guys that don't know this voice, this is Jonathan Gomez. He is from South Carolina. He is someone that I have had the pleasure of meeting since joining the game. We play at Chris's tournaments in Tennessee, and this is the guy that's responsible for always milling my son of God in three woes. So that's that's how this relationship <laughs> <just> yours. <laughs> so you want to uh, share a little bit about your history with the game for people that don't know you? Sure. I uh, I started playing the game uh, right around when the Kings packs came out. I, uh, I had a nice local play group in Miami, Florida for a while, and then I started to move away from the game when I joined the uh, Marine Corps. And then once I got out, I uh, moved back in with my parents. I found all my old cars on we uh we moved to California at that point and I just was um so enamored with the cards looking over them and I was like I wonder if anybody's playing this game anymore. I never been on the boards before that point, so I just I, I Google Redemption, I find the boards, and then I find a local in California like that weekend. So I grab my my silver brown banding deck and take it to that tournament. And I think early church had just come out at that point. So you can think like I had a King's deck that I brought to a early church meta and um, I got stopped, but I fell right back in love with the game. I think I went to the nationals that year uh, or maybe the next year and uh, clouds was released and you know, that was such an amazing expansion, and I've been kind of in the game ever since. Nice. So you had that similar and familiar story that a lot of people had. I played this <laughs> game when I was younger, and then I kind of went away from it as I became an adult after high school or whatever, that transition. And then, oh, I found my old cards, and I wonder if anybody's playing this game. That is like... I feel like 80% of the people that are playing right now that have left and come back to the game, that's been the story is like, oh, I just stumbled across my old cards and it's like, yeah, now I want to play again. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I never uh, I never meant to really go away. I just uh, kind of ran out of people to play with. And like I said, I don't even know about the boards or anything like that. So 
I was never connected to the larger redemption community, but uh, once I did, you know, never left. Yeah. I, I guess now being in the game and seeing kind of the transition from that being the case of not being connected to the larger community to now, I mean, it's got to be like worlds different and just how much engagement there is between if there's anybody that you've ever played in the game that you want to talk to about the game, you can find them just about, and it's everybody's connected and plugged in. There's, there's content coming out. That's all connected and interwebbed, like just the being connected to the larger community as a whole is no longer an issue. I don't think. Oh no, not at all. It's better than ever. I think. So I guess we will talk about some recent news and content that has come out. We had a video that came out from our friend Jared in Texas. And this was a video going over, you know, a discussion kind of just some of the things that he's been posting on the boards and things of just trying to find ways to make the game healthier and what the community's role can be in that by testing out ideas and things. So you're not just offering a, an NP suggestion to somebody, Oh, we should do this, but actually testing it out. And there's been some cool things come out like his eye for an eye format that Joe mentioned last week on the podcast that he had played a game with him doing that. And there's this new idea of possibly exhausting territory class characters. So they can only activate one per turn, that type of thing. So that's a, that's a video that just, to get the community talking. And then there's a large discussion that went on today. I have not read and caught up with that. We are recording on Monday evening. So, um, a day before this will release. So this will be out tomorrow. It'll be pretty recent for you to go back and find that conversation. Did you get in on that conversation at all, Jonathan? Uh, which one? They were talking about just the alternative formats and, and things like that. Just things to try to, and questioning whether like territory class needed to be toned down, that type of thing. I uh, I think I briefly skimmed through it. I um, usually I'm pretty good at lurking on the boards and keeping up with everything, but I was unusually busy at work today. <laughs> but uh, I I am aware of some of the things that they were talking about. Like I I, I really like the exhaustion idea, and uh, I kind of agree overall that maybe territory class should probably be toned down in some respect, but. We won't go too deep into that right now, but yeah, I guess that that could jump into a rabbit hole. But uh, <laughs> I will say that I do plan on after wrapping up the episodes that we've got planned here. So there's this one, and then one more where we reserve uh, talk about the reserve rule of not removing any cards first turn or first round of the game. So we're going to talk about that on an episode, and then that will wrap up the review for the big rule changes that happened this past season. And then we're going to have Jared come on the podcast and kind of everything that you've been seeing him post and talk about, just have a, you know, an open conversation about that and things that he's tried since it seems like he's trying a lot of these ideas and just see, kind of get the feedback from that and put it into a podcast episode. I think that'll be pretty cool to talk to him about that. Oh, I'm excited for that. The conversations are always great, but having the the data and like the review of, oh, I tried this out and this is the result. I think there's not quite as much of that as there is the initial talk. So it'll be nice to have him come on and talk about some of the things that he's seen testing out his new format and things like that. So definitely looking forward to that. 
Yeah, uh, Jared, and there's been so many people lately that just have a lot of great ideas. Uh, Chad, see the tree, uh, always has um, some, it seems like almost every day he's got a Land of Redemption article out uh, talking about stuff. I mean, the community has really changed over the last two years with uh, the players and the ideas. It's it's really it's really inspiring. It's really exciting. Yeah, and I don't I don't know about before I got into the game how it was or whatnot, but I like that a lot of the talk, even though it's talking about changing the game, it's all trying to change the game for the better and not done in like a demeaning way to the current state of the game. Like everyone acknowledges that the game is in a decent area. There's just room for improvement in, you know, the interaction during a turn and how long turns are taking, just things to clean it up and make it more player-friendly, especially when you're trying to expand and get new players in. But it seems like all the conversations are happening in a healthy and open way, and it's not like bashing leadership because the game needs this to be fixed. There's not a lot of yeah, and I think you know what I'm talking about, like the, that weird, that weird where if I say the game needs to improve in this area. It's not necessarily a negative about the current game state. It's just everybody's looking for the best in the game's future. Uh, absolutely, and and you really have a, a leadership too that's very conscious of trying to make the game as healthy as possible, reducing uh, negative player interactions and experiences. You know, there's. I feel like Redemption has been moving so quickly in that aspect over the last couple of years, you know, lots of rule changes, cards getting banned, you know, even cards that are like come out recently get banned. Like, uh, were you, were you around for the morning weep, uh, card? I was around when it was still not banned. I was there. Uh, I had come into the game the year that it and Samuel got banned. And I remember everyone talking about how big of an, a thing it was because not only did they ban a card, like Samuel, you know, that's fine because he had already had a long shelf life mm-hmm. at that point. But I, I remember Morning Weep and it was like there was there was a lot of people talking about, oh, look, leadership is acknowledging that this card is too strong or whatever. I feel like the way people were talking, it was kind of like a relief to see that they were acknowledging something was wrong and fixing it. So maybe like there was a history of that not necessarily happening. But I, I, that's just me picking up on it coming into the community at the time. Yeah, they. I think they did, was the three liner or two liner Lost Soul banned at that same time, or was that before? Uh, as far as I know, those were before because I remember those not being legal for play at some point. And then I also remember the announcement for those other cards, uh, Samuel and Morning Wheat, becoming banned. Because, yeah, I think Liner and Three Liner, they were in the Ultimate Limited packs. Uh, so if you think about it, that soul <laughs> was around for a long time, being abused. And uh, and then now, um, you know, just, what, five or so years ago, it gets banned. And now you're getting a more increase of cards getting banned. And I, I think it's really good. I think we're really moving in a great direction in this game. Yeah. There's there's always pruning for future growth, which I think, oddly enough, um, off the top of my head, might have been the article title on Land of Redemption when they announced the Samuel and Morning Wheat bands. So I guess mentioning Chad, you, you brought him up and kind of off of, or in the same vein of what Jared's been talking about, trying to find ways to 
um, make the game healthier and balance out interactions and push things toward the battle phase. Chad posted a deck list on Land of Redemption. Have you checked that out? I have not. Okay. Do you have you have any idea uh, like what the deck's about? Well, you 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 mentioned Salty uh, Lost Soul, which um, just from that I can see that yeah, you're you're gonna shut down playing territory class enhancements. Yep, but this deck does it in a way that it's trying to. He he asked the question: Is old school back? Old school before territory class? Because he's got this entire deck built without a single territory class enhancement. I don't know if it's without territory class characters. I didn't I didn't look at it in that great detail, but I know not at any territory class enhancements. And just thinking about building a deck that's just straight characters and you know going into battle to get enhancements off. He's got one that's a, that's, a high priest Ananias, but I think oh, he's okay. playing him so you don't <laughs> Yeah. You restrict cards. He's not really using the territory yeah. class part. So it's uh, and he said the deck seemed like it it could hold its own and it, he didn't feel that it was optimized yet so that's kind of an interesting thing you know everybody everybody talks about the fact that rules and things might need to change or we might need to do something differently but part of part of what could unlock this game and find different ways for the game to balance itself out is for deck building to you know explore new spaces so if all the interaction has has happened in prep phase and discard phase that's kind of skewed the game away from the battle phase. Well, one way that you could at least gauge and see the viability of something like this to figure out if you can play a deck that's just trying to overpower your opponent and, you know, shut down territory, aim to do that. And then when you get into the battle phase, you have more resources because your deck doesn't isn't you know, weaker because it's got all that territory class stuff so that when you get in the battle, you're not as strong. This deck's the opposite of that. It's stronger in battle because it's got all of those resources that are popping off then. Definitely an interesting concept. Oh, totally. And I really like he's exploring uh, the cross. I, his last deck he posted, uh, the one he won with the Grand Prix, um, where he explained that, you know, he, he pretty much has the cross on all the time. And... Uh, built a deck around that and i thought it was it was really really good yeah and i guess mentioning the lucky grand prix that he won i believe he did part two of his um i forget what he had it titled i don't have land of redemption pulled up but talking about the improving and and shooting for um lackey grand prix success a quest to lackey grand prix success part two so he dropped that on august 26th and then on august 28th he dropped this other deck. So, I mean, he's he's pushing out some content. Oh, yeah. He's a great mind, too. You hear a lot of people talk about they, they bounce ideas off of him. If you've got an interaction and you want to talk to someone that's not going to share your idea or your interaction, but will help you bring it to, you know, the best condition that it can be in or, or the best efficient way to get it in play, he might be your guy. So go fill up that DM box. <laughs> I'd like to make sure that we mention that the plus one initiative is, I guess, I guess we can officially say that it's open. It's happening now. I have the link to the form. I have the form ready. It is ready for you guys to get out there and start sharing the game, sharing 
you know, your faith through this game, using it, whether you're using it directly for a ministry tool or just reaching out to, you know, people that you want to play the game with you. We've got that set up and you can submit start submitting those unlimited entries. The form is going to ask for your first and last name, your discord or cactus boards screen name. And then for the first and last name of your plus one, and then for a photo that will serve as proof that you have played the game with this individual. And then there is a question on there asking if you give us permission to share that for promoting the game and the plus one initiative, including possibly sharing it on social media, maybe doing like a, you know, putting all those pictures onto a slideshow or something. Once we get those in, if depending on how many we get, make it look nice and, you know, show off what our efforts have produced. And hopefully, you know, we plant enough seeds that we can reap a harvest off of it. And by the time we have the Mr. Classic in early 2023, which is the, the date, but I believe it's going to be in February or early March when we have that. Just think about if we if we put that's what six months ish right? Six months ish of, you know, dedicated trying to grow the game and reaching out and sharing the game. Even if you only share it with three people. Well, if everybody that's playing the game actively does that with three people, well now think about how many people have seen this game possibly for the first time and have been exposed to it. And if only one out of 10 stick out of all those that reach out, then it's still worth it because across the community, if everybody participates, I mean, those numbers are just going to keep adding up. And if one out of 10 sticks, 10%, it doesn't sound like a lot, but 10% is a lot better than 0% because we chose not to share the game. So hopefully this incentivizes people and promotes, you know, growth toward the future of the game. I really do think the game's in the best spot it's it's been in, at least since I've been involved. But from just judging based on, you know, looking at old um, content and things previously, like on the boards and things, it just seems like it's in the best spot it's really ever been to have new players come in. Absolutely, especially when those uh, KNL decks come out. Right. You've got new starter decks on the horizon, and not just new starter decks, new starter decks that look good and have a have a, a, a wow factor to them that I don't think... And maybe at the time that they came out, because it was the new card face at the time, but I just feel like they immediately pop with other players. We've started our small group at church, and numbers are numbers are not fantastic. We've got one youth member that you know has come all three of the ones that we've had so far, and we've gone from IJ starter decks, KL starter decks. And then last uh, last one we did, which was yesterday, I took and built a bunch of contender decks, and we played contender decks. And so the step up, you know, over three weeks, because we had tried showing him the game way back when me and Brad first started playing, or shortly after. Um, so he had some experience with it. But to be able to move up, and here's contender decks, and have somebody involved in that, that wouldn't be otherwise without effort to show them the game. And that's kind of what I guess encapsulating the plus one initiative is just to try to encourage people to do that because that's the only way the game grows is if the players that are playing it spread the word. That's right. I love that you're doing that and that uh, 
um, you have in the notes here that you know, Tyler Stevens is working on something for prizes too, and I just think that's so awesome. I it's encouraging me to try to find somebody to teach the game. Um, I have an eight-year-old daughter that I'm going to try to start learning the game, but uh, outside of my church too, I'm 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 looking. <laughs> I'm encouraged. Yeah, me and Brad actually went at different times. He told me about it, and then I went. There's a there's been two or three now after looking it up card stores that have popped up recently in our area and we we didn't have any we had one for a long time that closed down during covid and then since then there hasn't been any local card stores and now we've got two or three of them that have popped up i say two or three of them uh, because one of them is mostly a comic book store but also does cards but I don't know how involved they are on the card side versus comic side. But one of them, I went and actually bought some card sleeves during their Friday Night Magic. And they've only been open since July 1st in our area. And they had at least 60 people in there playing. Wow. And pro- that was not counting. That's like just at the tables. And then there was at least 10 or so people up around the register uh, when I went to check out. And... I mean, it looked like a vibrant, healthy area, you know, for gamers. And eventually, me and Brad could go in there and sit down and play the game and just, you know, slowly. I don't think you go in there and start trying to take on the world and be like, hey, this is a new game. (laughs) And all right, we're going to do this and we want you to carry this product or anything. But I think you can go in and just let them, you know, build, build a bit of a relationship, you know, support them by buying some sleeves and things and products there that you would buy you know, from Amazon or whatever, wherever you would order them. And yeah, you might pay two or $3 more, but then you start building that relationship. And then hopefully that leads to, okay, we play here every now and then and whatever. So I'm also encouraged by the fact that all of this is coinciding with the fact that now there's card stores in our local area, which is fantastic. I'm really excited about, it just seems like a lot of that's happening. And even though we haven't had great numbers, Keegan, Keegan had one of his friends. We got the, the one youth group kid and me, Brad and Keegan have been at our, our little small group that we're doing for redemption. But it just seems like all the stuff is falling in place for that to possibly be a healthy thing. And now there's a card store that we could go and show it to people that, you know, may or may not share our faith, but that would be pretty cool to, to go and, and sit down and start playing and, and have somebody, oh, check this out. Because you know what else I can do is let me let me flip here and show you my binder. And now I have National Winter Promo Collection. I've got some foil promos from Nationals this past year. I've got all the cool cards I can show off now to like wow factor. Because I think I think card games having a wow factor is definitely necessary for people to get really excited about it. Absolutely. And the cards are like looking better than ever. I mean, they're just, I, I just love them. I, this set too is just so much good uh, to sew art and the cards just seem to pop. I mean, me and you both love you are plus Gabriel. Uh, it's just, it's just such a good looking uh, set. I mean, and they have been for the last couple sets. Mentioning you are plus Gabriel. I, I should thank you for, giving me a second copy so now i can keep one in an unplayed condition and i have one to play well you're welcome i'm, I'm happy to get a resurrection <laughs> um 
need, I needed one to, to play with myself. So you helped me out too. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about all, all that, like having both phases now released and, and what the meta could shape out to be. Because even when you look at the themes that are in GOC and okay, disciples, now you get all the new disciples, but how much do you lean into the empty tomb stuff? Because you have the identify your own Peter and then how much of it do you just take a couple of disciples and splash with some other New Testament things? Or you could just play straight disciples. You have nativity that could go a couple of different ways. You could mix in some white with that. You've got Star of Bethlehem. I know we're all excited to see people start pulling that off and how crazy that could get. You've got Empty Tomb off the, the block from hand using the Empty Tomb Fortress and then possibly you know augmenting that with the Bethany trio, for example, or some of the other uh, white consistency pieces that we've got in the game. There's just, even though they're uh, demons, that's another one, demons. Are you going to play the gospel demons that place a bunch of stuff? Or are you going to mix some of that with demons that we already have? And just, are you just going going to use all the demons that we already have and just some of the enhancement support? So demons are wide open, like all of these things wide open. I didn't even mention Herod's there or thieves. Just it's not just that they're in the set, but it's like you can take them and play them different ways in different decks, and they're not just going to all play, you know, the exact same. It's going to be there's a lot of creativity in blending the different themes and sub themes within GOC, and I'm really excited for that. Especially also because you have GOC only that's going to be coming out, but all that's excited are exciting, and we now know that. After last week's episode, just a reminder that Phase 2 does become legal September 1st, so we are just a couple of days away from those cards being tournament legal, and now people had a jump start on building decks and whatnot, but now it gets really exciting because you actually get to start seeing people play those competitive games and actually trying to win with these new decks instead of this just being an idea I'm working on. Now this is the deck I'm trying to win with and see how they can push the the themes that are within GOC. And I'm really excited for that. Absolutely. That's uh, that's why I'm really excited for the Lackey Grand Prix uh, that's starting up because uh, we'll get to see everybody give their best ideas out uh, for that. Yeah, that's Lackey Grand Prix 5, which the signups are now open. If you are not part of the Lackey Grand Prix server, Discord server, you can reach out to Jay Chambers and get signed up for that. So Lackey Grand Prix five is open. And so it, that's, that's really a good, a good early testing ground for some of these GOC decks. I think you had last year when phase one came out, I don't know how much of it you really got to see before the widow combo, because Jaden found that thing in like 0.2 seconds. And he was like, all right, guys, watch this. <laughs> and, all right, here we go. And it just it just seemed like it, we immediately phase, phase one, crazy interaction, and now that took over, and that second Lucky Grand Prix turned into the Widow Grand Prix. But I think now, looking at it, hopefully things are a lot healthier with this phase coming into the card pool. So I think it's going to be kind of wide open. I think most people will be playing something from GOC, like themes, just to test it out. But again, like Nativity, you could go a couple of ways with that, a couple of ways with Disciples, Demons. 
So it'll be nice to see and get some of that early testing done and see how people are building those out. And hopefully people are sharing deck lists off of this. Cause I think that's, that's one thing that happened a lot with phase one coming out and becoming legal is we got some play test decks from the people that were involved in play testing, but then people started sharing their decks and hopefully that same thing happens with phase two becoming legal. Speaking of tournaments, there was a local online people met in the, uh, in the cloud <laughs> this past weekend. And um, I forget, someone told me who won that tournament, but I couldn't, I can't quite remember. Are you talking about uh, Derek's tournament? Yeah, Derek's tournament. Yeah, I, I, I won that one. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So please do tell how was the tournament and what did you play and, and just give us the full rundown. Well, um, I, I feel like there should be an asterisk on my win because uh, I was the only one that um, was uh, brazen enough to still use the widow combo in that tournament. I think <laughs> I. Uh, oh man! Yeah, I um, I liked I liked the deck I played with at nationals, and uh, I, I posted it on the boards, and I I even mentioned it there that I didn't think it was the best that it could have been. And watching uh, Jeremy play his deck and seeing how powerful uh, Numerous as the Stars was, I realized that that was kind of like a missing component for me. So I added that to my deck, and that's um, and I kind of copied his defense a little bit too, uh, with uh, just a little bit of Star Evil characters. And uh, I added Stricken; he didn't use that, but I saw that that was a very powerful card for going second. Uh, the Jaden revealed. So I kind of just took a, little pieces of, of everybody's deck and, and played with it. And, and man, was it, was it brutal? <laughs> um, you know, not only can I draw like 20 plus cards a turn, you know, you get plagued to hail, you get first sacrificed, you get betrayed. <laughs> um, we had three rounds and I went first every round off die rolls and so not only did I have the broken deck, I had the uh, the opportunity to go first. So it was a uh, it was it was really brutal for the opponents. <laughs> but I mean, even still, it, it sounds like yeah. It. Even still, uh, I had I had really good competition. Um, my first game was against Mark. Uh, I hope I hope I don't butcher his last name, Vilecki. Um. He, I think I think that's probably right. He had a king's uh, Assyrian deck, um, and the um, despite me having, I think I had the better uh, draw on his game. Um, I think I was I was like had four cards left of the deck in my first turn. Um, he still held me off pretty good. That game ended four uh, three. Uh, and another another dirty thing about the deck is, of course, I don't know why I'm the only player that seems to be on it, but I, I use scapegoat. And so every time Derek came in and said, oh, you know, who went first? And I would say, I went first. And he's like, okay, well, you finish your turn and your opponent gets his uh, last turn. That's it. And I say, okay. And then I play down scapegoat. <laughs> that's, that is dirty because you know, you know your deck slow plays the game. <laughs> Uh, I try to be as as fast as possible. I, I really try to be conscious of that, e- even though I'm doing all these uh, all these things like milling and things. I, I don't 
I don't want to take away anything from my opponent. You know? Oh yeah, I, I'm just saying like that deck though is built to go multiple turns instead of trying to yeah. maximize and win really quickly. Right, right. It's trying to just rip your heart out slowly <laughs> over the course of like do it big turn one so that you already know you're gonna lose this game, but then like hurt your soul each turn after that, just slowly picking away at your resources. I've I've been on the other side of that, unfortunately. I got to give it to Mark though. Even though I did have the turn that I had, he, he never, uh, he never seemed to lose hard. It didn't seem to phase him too much. Um, and then my next opponent was Micah Rex, LOJ games. Nice. Um, he was using, uh, a widow. I'm not a widow. I'm sorry. A musician aggro deck. And, um, he, he uh, he unfortunately didn't have uh, a lot of defense um, early on, so that was a quick five-one for me. Uh, and he kind of laughed about it while, while you know, watch me play the widow, and he didn't take the game I think as seriously. Um, but he did. Um, he did get a. I was using um, Arc of Salvation, and. I was getting, uh, he had Fallen Star in the deck, and I got auto-blocked for a couple turns. Um, but then now on the boards, I realized I could have played Heroes from Hand or presented from his territory. So <laughs> that'll be interesting going forward uh, with that. And then after his game, um, I played against Joseph Powell, and he had a uh, Disciples deck with Sadducees that he piloted very well. That game was extremely close. It was 3-2. Uh, unfortunate for him, I also played Scapegoat on his last turn. <laughs> I was about to ask. <laughs> but um, oh, man. He, uh, Sadducees are such a great defense. He, um, he, he, he played really, really well. Just kept getting blocks after blocks after blocks, even though I had the, uh, the speed. Um, and I think honestly, if I didn't go first, it, it probably would have went the other way around. He uh, he did really well in that game, and it was it was close. He uh, really on the last turn, he had he had he was fishing for second coming, and his deck wasn't you know too small, but he uh, I was just nervous. I'm sitting there, he's playing all these territory class enhancements, seeing if he can get it out, and um, he didn't realize he can he couldn't do a um, he thought he could do a battle challenge, but the scapegoat, you know, skips the whole battle phase, which includes your opportunity to do battle challenges. So he was a little bummed about that, but still, I mean, an amazing game. You found a way to turn scapegoat waiting for the right opportune moment to drop it when Derek comes into the, the zoom room or whatever <laughs> and turn it into morning wheat. Basically. Basically. Yep. Oh man. I bet you did not make friends. I really do with the mill strategy, which I, I think this upcoming season I might, I might, uh, pull away from it and try to explore other things. <laughs> but will you really? I, I I have a deck for the Grand Prix that's not milling. I'm excited to use it. You mentioned Bethany Heroes. Uh, I'm, I'm exploring how to use them uh, in conjunction. Oh, yeah. I'm super, I'm super excited to try out the Bethany Trio. Yeah, I think each each of them have such unique abilities and, and ways to use it. You know, Lazarus can turn himself meek or the other two to gain an ability. Uh, Martha can reserve a, a character out of the hand. Uh, Mary can restrict dom evil dominance in battle, and she's very powerful territory class character, negating all other territory class characters. 
So I'm I'm really excited even to if, see them. Even if she just blinked somebody for you or yeah. whatever. What's really cool is throwing them in because it's just three of them and they have really strong abilities. Throwing them in and playing something like Resurrection that lets your New Testament hero, I guess it's a human hero, ban to up to three New Testament heroes or however it's worded. So you could ban to, because I think they said that at one point in testing, you could do whatever order putting the, the Bethany trio in. And then they realized that it was probably a little too strong. So they changed it to where you have to go in a almost a certain order or you, you have limited choices. It can't just be this, ban to this, this. And you choose ultimately which ones. But with the resurrection, you get to choose or you could throw them in, throw one in that bans to the rest of them as one of your bands off of resurrection. And then you've got two more. I mean, resurrection is just going to be such an awesome card. And I, like, I mean, it goes in. I get that it's kind of, you know, set up for empty tomb heroes. But I mean, it's it's. It's really good across all all offensive strategies in um, GOC. I haven't I haven't been able to to uh, test it out yet, but just from the experience at, at nationals with K and L, and using those uh, those uh, K and L uh, banding cards, I, I really saw how awesome that interaction is. Just bringing in three extra heroes, and I think they're just great dominants to make. You know, you make them niche for a for a specific theme and you know you're not just outright just winning the battle you just got the angel of the lord it's over no you you bring it in you extend the battle phase you get to use some abilities you know and maybe your opponent has something similar no i'm i'm excited for uh for resurrection yeah definitely and i guess we saved it for last even though we could have said it earlier when we talked about GOC phase 2 becoming legal and kind of hinted at GOC only, which is coming down the line. And we're definitely going to have to, as a community, play a lot of GOC only because people are going to want copies of these GOC only promos you get for playing the category. Clinging to power is the third one. And I know people were thinking that it might be that the three were coming, coming out. And since it was just three for the set, that the third one would be from phase two. And, it's from phase one. We've got clinging to power and the artwork on here. It's another to sew piece and it looks really good. So all three of these are going to be cards that you're going to want to throw in your, your decks this, this season. So what do you think about the, the artwork choice for this one? Oh, just amazing. I mean, um, I, I was never a big art fan before redemption, but like it really kind of makes you into one after seeing so much of the, you know, the public domain art that they get to use, and especially just JJ Tussaud in general, you know, seeing, you, know, you got Jesus being pulled in by the crowds, um, which really reflects the, you know, the, the verse that's being used. And it's just, it's just looks amazing. Yeah. I think part of the appreciation for redemption art is knowing that you're not going to get some, cutting edge like somebody's made this custom piece just for redemption right now because we are using public domain art i think it's fantastic just to see that just from what's available publicly you know things that are you know were painted in the 1500s to 1800s whatever taking that art and putting it on a card that's being played in a modern game and doing it so well like touching up to colors making it pop 
and finding different artists that, you know, fully capture what you're trying to show with a card. Like, I think this one does a great job of that as they're pulling and, and prodding on him. But just being able to take just if you saw a Tissot painting in a non-redemption capacity and you weren't involved with the game, you'd be like, okay, that's just a scrappy looking painting of Jesus. But then when those scrappy little paintings of Jesus turn into a full set of GOC and it, you know, makes it cohesive across and they're, they're done in a way that makes the colors pop and tells the story of Jesus's life and ministry and ultimate sacrifice. I mean, just, you get a you get a strong appreciation for art that you wouldn't have outside of the game. So I definitely get what you're saying there that redemption makes you care about art a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And um you know, I even had a thought this um um about about JJ to sell. I wonder if he's in heaven looking down at us with all his uh his art on our cards and what I wonder what he thinks about that. I mean, it must be really encouraging. He wants his commission. <laughs> right. No, uh, but yeah, that that is a pretty cool thought, and you know we've used a lot of uh, a, a lot. Of, I don't know if I'd say a lot, but quite a few Carl Bloch, the you know the cross, um, the ultra rare plus from him. I think restitution, extortion, and um, there was one other one. Well, I know in ROJ, uh, there's a lot of. I think it's John Martin art. Yep. And yeah, those, the, I mean, the three woes just yeah. looks incredible. <laughs> and and these are just artists that, like, now you have some type of profile. If you hear the name in passing, oh, I know something about that. It's kind of like the obscure characters in the Bible. Like, if someone says Ishmael, I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, is that him? The, the Gibeonite guy? Yeah. Um, that draws and bands and does all this, like, broken stuff that probably was too strong. Um <laughs> the game the gay characters yeah yeah but like if you say that to most people that you know are in church you know i feel like they won't make the instant connection that like you tell a redemption player that oh yep i know that guy and i think it's kind of like the same way with art now that like you hear some obscure painter and from the 1800s and oh yeah redemption used a piece of that art and now I have some kind of context for that. A lot of random trivia that you might be good with at Trivia Night if they asked a very <laughs> specific question about some artwork from uh, Christian faith artwork from the 1800s. You might have an answer. <laughs> That's funny you say that because uh, Justin Allstadt actually told me that exact story. He went to a Trivia Night and uh, he, he, he got a question because he knew the artist from the Redemption card. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I actually myself went to a, a museum in California, and I, I don't quite remember what art piece it was, but I remember it was a lost soul, and I'm just walking in, and there it is, and it's like, I, I didn't realize it was like a pretty massive piece, and it's just on this wall. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a redemption card. I think it was almost, I think it was Humble, Lost Soul, one of them. Oh, nice. Well, I guess that is going to bring us into our... uh conversation and as i'm trying to do each week now i want to make sure that i take a moment to let you know that we are sponsored by our friend john early and covenant games so if you enjoy the podcast make sure you go over and check out his website if you need some sealed product or you're looking for a family-friendly game 
or if you just want to pick up a threshing floor play mat, because we still got some of those. You guys were supposed to sell those out like the first week, man. What happened? I Come tried. On, community. I was one of them. <laughs> I, I I will say it was really cool seeing them at nationals. Like they were everywhere at nationals. So yeah, that's kind of been a thing for me now. Is every nationals that there seems to be a new play mat available, and I always try to pick one up. We'll have to we'll have to make sure that we get another one in for next nationals, and it goes everywhere, and you have to buy that so that you can support our friends at Covenant Games. But I guess we'll continue our series of rule change review. You know, we just came through last season and we've talked about the fact that rotation happened and we had the first season with that. Then we talked about last week the four activation limit rule. And so definitely we're not going in any specific order. But this week, and I think it's kind of fitting that you just talked about winning at the online tournament where you built an aggressive deck that was trying to obliterate your opponent's resources while um, going off early on to put them behind the eight ball. And you got lucky from going first off of the, the random die roll. <laughs> and that is the change that we're talking about here that you would have had to build your deck to include ways to get souls on the boards. If you on the board, if you were trying to go first, because that's how it used to be determined based on the number of lost souls in each person's territory. And one thing that I didn't like about that, but you have to acknowledge that when you're talking about that all souls determined that was you could start off with two souls in your territory and them have none. And you think that you're about to get to choose who goes first and then they could use some star abilities and then it could be different. You could end up having not enough to go first. So it would like change even in the, like once a decision made or whatever, I'm doing this first, I'm doing that. But then you would reevaluate each step. And uh, that kind of got cleaned up because you make the one decision and now you do everything first. So you do your stars first. And then you do star, uh, your lost soul abilities first. And then you start the game first. Um, but what were your initial thoughts when this was announced? Because if I remember correctly, it came out basically the exact same time as rotation. And it was kind of like, oh, yeah, this – like it was announced, but it was kind of like no one, no one really thought about it, or, or talked about it initially, because they were talking about the other big thing that was coming. Yeah, I think it was kind of becoming a growing problem because if if I'm not mistaken, one of the was it Jeremy's deck where he played a lot of souls, a lot of star abilities that gave him souls so he can use the love at first sight. Yeah. First, yeah. So I I, I think it was starting. It was starting to become a, a problem in a way, and I think they just kind of dealt with it really quickly after that. But when I first heard it, I thought it was great, uh, a, a great rule change. Um, I think beforehand it made sense to you know allow the player with the most souls to choose who goes first. Um, obviously, they're kind of, I guess, more vulnerable to maybe uh, getting, uh, you know, they get they can't rescue as much, but the opponent can. So it seemed fair at that time. But now that we have more like zero turn interactions with star abilities, I think it made a lot more sense to make it random. I think it also just makes it generally more fair overall. Like if I'm at nationals and I have a deck that's kind of 
pretty aggressive for first turn shenanigans. I, I, I kind of feel good in a weird way that like maybe the RLK can can to, can go first and do his thing. Yeah, I I think you're right when you talk about at a time that it was it it probably made a lot of sense that okay whoever is in the more vulnerable spot to you know having to get a block because you have a soul so if someone if someone draws a soul and the other person doesn't the person with the soul should get to determine who goes first so that they either i've got a block i can block i can block and and keep this soul from being rescued or i can you know make that decision at that point and i think that makes sense but that was probably set up when decks moved a lot slower yeah, and they weren't as consistent. And then when you add the consistency that came with later sets, and then also you mentioned the turn zero interaction, because that is just kind of off the charts now because you have this whole new ability that came out our our game function of star abilities, which I love star abilities. I think star abilities is one of the coolest things about redemption as far as like just, randomly introducing a new mechanic that feels unique to the game, especially when now it's going to be all tied together with GOC phase two, having the nativity theme and star of Bethlehem that can tie that kind of together. But I think it's, it's, it's really cool and it feels unique to the game and the power level of them, you know, it's not too much or most of them's not too much. There's a, there's a couple that, you know, feels like too much when you get delivered hitting your son of God or whatever <laughs> off the top of your deck, which, you know, we won't talk about that. Um, I, I guess I, or I would like to say that incriminator putting down <laughs> a dominant and then a delivered. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess if it's going to be done to me, I got to do it to other people. Sorry, Jaden. <laughs> um, but I think the, the interaction and the potential for manipulating it, especially like you have these star abilities that play a lost soul from a deck. Well, those being soul gen is cool, but when you have someone building a deck that's hyper aggressive and then they're playing all of these stars to play souls just to go first to make sure that they go off, then you learn lean into that's going to create potentially and, and you know, probable negative play experience on the other side. If, okay, you're guaranteed to go first just because you're, you're able to in your hyper aggressive deck where you don't have to play defense you're able to replace that with more heroes that have play a lot soul star abilities on them and things of that nature. So I was very welcoming of the change. And I think that it was something that definitely we talk a lot about, uh, a lot about last week um, when me and Joe discussed the four activation rule, we talked about how it future proofed and it just kind of, you know, set the the perimeter up around your home just just to protect things so nothing crazy happens. You know, or if it happens, it's only happening through four activations, not infinite loops anymore. But I think this is similar in the way that it just kind of prevents anybody from manipulating, you know, turn zero to ensure they go first every time because we already talk about going first and how much of a benefit that is. And then if you're able to guarantee you're the person reaping that benefit, I definitely think it it was something that was necessary. And I think that it's one of the the healthier rule changes since I've been involved in the game, but it may not, I feel like it may not feel as impactful as it really is 
just because we still have a lot of a lot of benefit for going first. You know, and that's kind of the conversation we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the, the episode here with Jared having those conversations and, you know, starting, starting the conversation and talking about ways to make the game healthier and having and the community talking and coming up with, you know, ideas and things and just brainstorming how to make the game healthier to balance out the, the benefit of going first. Um, but I think overall it's one of the healthier rule changes since I've been involved in the game that's happened. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think every time they take care of cer- certain things like, you know, going first and activation rule and reserve rule, um, it kind of highlights what the other areas are going to be that are more problematic. And then they can give kind of more attention to that. And uh, I, I just think just over the last couple of years, the game is just getting so much healthier. I mean, this this Nationals, I think, was like the first time I didn't have to like really worry about being timed out or, or, you know, struggling to get, you know, to like five turns. Cause it just something like the game was just, you know, even though there is a lot of like territory class things happening that could drain out time. It just, I, I, I many times ended my games with like plenty of time left over. Yeah. I think probably the, the biggest thing or the biggest impact of this rule besides Besides the potentially making it a healthier start for the game and a more fair based choosing who goes first, is what it did for deck building, because I'm, I, and and this is kind of trying not to talk too much about the reserve rule because I want to give it a full episode next week mm-hmm. and talk about about it. But you you can't you can't not talk about the fact that every deck was geared up to do like three things. When it started the game, I want to get to my exiles. I want to get to my remnant and I want to get to potentially like a darkness or something to just boom, boom, boom. Souls coming out. All right. I'm going to try to get like three characters or or three solid cards. So you go, you could start a game with 10 or 11 cards in your hand or 10 or 11 resources. If you're counting each card as a resource and your opponent not having that just because of lost souls that were in the deck. And it also robbed creativity because everyone would run the same lost souls. Because if you're not running what everybody else is running, then you're falling behind. And I feel like that's kind of opened up. You see a little bit more spread among souls that are used uh, like ability wise. And I think that's going to happen even more now that we've got some awesome new Testament souls. So now it's going to be like, do I go New Testament Unity? Do I stay Old Testament? Or do I blend the uh, the two? And I think a lot of that would be robbed if we still had Remnant and Exiles being a thing and then you know trying to manipulate going first with other souls coming out. Um, Distressed was another one people wanted to try to drop in the, the opening, like turn zero, and you could play all these play all soul you would want that to come out earlier but you had ways to do it more because in your deck building and i think just a breath of fresh air with deck building is that people aren't just slamming these cards in to try to spam and get souls on the board i feel like it really opened up some deck building and there's a little bit more creativity to how you how you put your soul abilities together with the deck and it's not just kind of like People talk about dominance. They're like, I've got my five dominance and then maybe one or two that I change depending on the deck. But it's almost the same dominance across for the majority of decks that people build. 
And I feel like souls were like that before. And now you see a little bit more variety. So how do you think it's affected deck building that you've observed when you build decks and also decks that you play against? Well, I, I think it, uh, I think it actually makes more sense now, like what the purpose of the reserve was supposed to be, you know, like supposed to be a sideboard supposed to be like, you know, you put things in there that maybe can help you in the game. If you have bad matchups, uh, you know, things that can bail you out. I, I remember like early, like, or like when the reserve first came out, it's like, Oh, okay. I can put like something that can like, uh, what are those cards called? Like paying taxes, you know, something I can take care of an artifact, maybe a site that can help me get through a site lock and things like that. But then, you know, people realized and, and like cards you mentioned, like Remnant and Exiles came out and made it more like, oh, I can just get this very specific card out. It's not a random thing out of my deck. It's, you know, this thing that can help me with consistency. So with, you know, taking a pause in that first turn, yeah, absolutely made it. It, it's completely changed how I build decks, you know, even though the reserve isn't a super, super old thing, um, you know, for the last couple of years, you've been thinking about, okay, this is my first turn. I'm going to try to get, you know, these things out of my reserve to help me speed ahead. I, I remember like certain cards, like, uh, um, uh, I am creator was in there. So you can always make sure you get your, you know, the specific hero out of your deck and things like that. But now, now I just think like, okay, I need to draw things in my opening hand that doesn't have as much reserve access until later in the game, you know, and so because of that first turn, I'm not going to be able to get them. So I want to kind of like pause on those and, and not try to look for those immediately and then like try to figure out on my second turn, okay, what am I going to try to access with reserve? So it's, it's definitely changed uh a lot of of how i I view the deck and how i how i build yeah i think i think it's just made it the beginning of the game um even though we do have still an issue where the person that goes first has a pretty strong advantage and you know numbers aren't out from nationals they haven't released that data yet even though we know that because of the score sheets you know, including who went first, they are able to compile that data. I don't know where they are in the process of doing that, but I think that there's, there's a lot more openness at the beginning of the game to where if someone, depending on souls come out, you, you're not like, ah, I've already lost this game. He got his remnant, his exiles, his distress and his darkness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, like he's, he's set up. He's, he's got 12 cards in his hand to start his, his first turn, you know, cause he's got prosperity too. And it's like, all right, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. Like right. there's, that's just such a heel to climb. And now because you've toned down those interactions and it is a, it is a uh, combined effort between randomizing who goes first and also the reserve rule, not allowing you to spam exiles and remnant to have a massive setup and also rotation, you know, getting rid of, I am creator, Although if you play Genesis in blue, you still have that with Covenant with Noah. But, nice. you know, who am I to say? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it's made it it's made it not feel so daunting if the other person gets out a a you know like because they're not they're not spamming to try to try to get out a bunch of souls. So it's rare to see more than like two. I don't remember someone opening out five souls in this past tournament season against me. 
Do you do you recall anything like crazy like that? Because I feel like five was like a common thing back before when people manipulated and they were like, "All right, I've got Nahor. I'm playing a soul. I've got um, who's the other one that plays a soul? Um, Amos or something like that." Yeah, and they were like, "All right, I got I got this down." Like Jay, I remember one time I asked him, I was like, "What is Amos doing in your deck?" And he's like, "It's there just for the star ability, hundred percent just for the star ability." I'm like. Okay. He's like, and then, you know, obviously you can play delivered and stuff. I was like, okay. Man, those chamber brothers love their stars. <laughs> right. And I feel the burden now after hearing them justify it like that as a new player. I'm like, man, I should really put Amos in my deck, even though he doesn't really serve a purpose <laughs> except for being able to play some territory class stuff and play that soul. Like, I don't, I don't feel like that's enough to justify him being in a deck except for in that hyper consistent meta that we were in back when you know your reserve rule and this randomizing who went first like manipulating that thing and you know you had the benefit for playing amos because you got to go first if you got enough souls out losing that kind of cleans up and now think about the deck space you lose a amos you lose a nahor that came out things that you were playing just to generate souls you lose those and now you get to have more I guess, variety in your deck. What do you use that slot for since you're not having to use it to try to manipulate going first? Mm-hmm. You you kind of get a little bit more spread with, with the decks. No, absolutely. It, uh, it definitely changed uh, how we all build decks now because we, we, lo- we lose that consistency. Like I kind of mentioned, the reserve isn't something that you just grab random stuff from. It's always targeted things. So being able to lose that access in that first turn just really tones down I think like what would have made first turn stuff even worse if it wasn't there. I wasn't super on board with it when it first came out. Uh, I just felt like it just felt awkward. You know, a lot of, so there's so many cards that access the reserve now. I'm just like, kind of like having to like think like, Oh, I can't, uh, you know, get that right now. I got to wait a turn. Uh, but, but now looking back it, it's, uh, and you know, after nationals and, uh, even even this local I just did it. I, I really see like okay, yeah, this this was needed. <laughs> yeah. So, with a full season now of experience with the new rule set and all of these changes, but primarily focusing on you know the the turn zero interaction, deciding who's going first, being cleaned up with not having to manipulate those souls to try to get that that benefit. And it just being left up to a dice roll, flip of the coin, um, things of that nature. What do you think the impact has been for gameplay interaction? So you sit down with a player and you draw eight, they draw eight. How how is that interaction like that that start of the game? Compare it to before the rule change and after. Like, what do you like about it since it's changed? I think it uh I think it kind of makes it like a little quicker about starting the game. I think before, if I'm not mistaken, like you said, like you had to activate certain souls. Those souls pull out more cards. Those star cards pull out more cards. And then you, you know, after all that, you see uh, who goes first, who gets to choose to go first. And now you just roll a dice. Oh, okay, it's me. All right, what do you pick? Uh, you look at your hand. Okay, I think I'm going to go first. I'll let you go first. And it kind of just makes the the opening 
Oh, uh, it seems like a little quicker to me with starting a game. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, definitely feel you there. I feel like you could spend 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes before the rule change when people were, you know, explicitly playing to pop all those souls out at the beginning of the game and then do their abilities. Um, I think, I think another thing with the, the interaction at the beginning of the game without having those souls and the ability to grab and put them in play is a lot of the first turn interaction. Um, the And maybe that, that's part of the, the thing that makes it a little bit more skewed toward player going first is there's not such an easy path because people aren't stuffing a bunch of cards that play souls in their deck. There's not a, a easy path for a player to drop a, a counter down before you've even had your first turn. Right. So I feel like I feel like that's a that's a good thing and a bad thing because whoever goes first has less to push through. But being on the other side, like when people can manipulate, I'm gonna go first and I'm going to drop distressed, and then on top of distressed, I'm going to drop, you know, like orphan not orphans, punisher. So if you've got three three or more brigades, you're being negated. Just be able to drop those hard counters off of turn zero interaction. And then also that lets them still go first. So now they've set up counters and now they're rolling. I feel like getting rid of that to where now it's more random, whether those counter souls come out because people aren't stuffing a bunch of cards. I can't tell you the last time I saw someone play Hunter and Hunter is still a really good soul because it can still go, still go and get you distressed. If you want to drop it down, it can go and get you, Orphans, if you think that you're going to play a deck that is going to try to try to manipulate souls, thing things like that. So um, it can go and get thorns if you're worried about you know Sheol and and other ways that under deck souls. But nobody's playing it because you lost Remnant and you lost Exiles. Yeah. And people's like ah, well I don't need Hunter. So it it's not that it's not just that it's a it's definitely an advantage for the player going first, but it's also, it kind of, I guess there's two sides to, to that, the benefit and the, the non-benefit of it being easier for the first person not to push through stuff. But, man, is it nice to not start the game seeing the person go first and also have hard counter souls down. No, absolutely. It, uh, it just seems to make the first turn, or I guess zero turn stuff, just a lot smoother and just more fair, you know, like, there's a lot of randomness to redemption that, you know, you don't know what kind of cards you're going to pull when you shuffle. And now that with the first turn thing, there's just add that added layer to it too. It's like, maybe you do have a really, really strong deck and maybe your opponent doesn't so much, but maybe that kind of randomness where he goes first kind of changes how the whole game would have been uh, for better, for worse. And I, I don't know why. I just think that's, that's just better. Yeah. I think it's, even with the, you know, mentioning the benefit for who does randomly get to go first, not having to deal with as much counter counters on the board in the form of lost souls. I think it's a step in the right direction. That was, again, I believe it was necessary to take it away from players. It shouldn't be in a player's control whether they go first. Yeah, I don't absolutely. Think, I don't think other game like, I don't know how magic works, but I don't believe that... Any other, I can't think of off the top of my head because in Pokemon, you 
you flip a coin, I think it is, at the beginning of the game. Because they always give you the little game coins. My kid's starting to get into Pokemon and whatnot. Like, actually playing. He's collected the cards for a while. And now he plays a little bit with some of the, like, structure decks that they have. Um, so we figured out how to play that. But um, I think it's random to start. And then, you know, you go from there. And I can't think off the top of my head a game where it's not... Unless it's like one of those old family games where it's like the younger player, youngest player goes first. I don't, I don't know another competitive game where there's not a coin flip or a random way to decide who goes first. Yeah, you know, I, I can't think either. No, I agree. I, I think you can't. It, it, it's, uh, it feels really lopsided to have to be able to find a way to make yourself go first, and then especially on top of that, have this super aggressive first turn. And, you know, if you're playing a new player, that just automatically just makes the game look bad. You know, like, you just feel like you're just so far behind already. Could you imagine (laughs) manipulating souls so you went first and then hitting them with a Matthew? Yeah. (laughs) Like, and then following up in your discard phase with a Widow and you've decked out and now you've got your full board set up and they haven't played a card and you punished them because they had a Foreign Wives in their hand. Yeah, and if you're Jeremy, you've you've taken some stuff out of their hands, so they start with less cards than they would have started. <laughs> I definitely think it, it it's a a step in the right direction, even if it didn't. It hasn't gotten us fully there yet. I think it's kind of like what you mentioned before. You made a great point at the beginning. You were like, when you fix one area, it kind of highlights another area that needs to you know coincide and be be fixed with it as well. So I, I definitely think it, it probably just highlights the fact that there's still work to be done overall in the balance of the game, and that's what all the conversation is about, about the health of the game and pushing things toward the battle phase so that you're not trying to manipulate those interactions at turn zero or turn one prep phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me ask you this. When the rule was announced and they they first said it, what do you think the ultimate goal or what what do you think leadership was looking for over the course of the first year of this? What do you think – if, if it worked out perfectly and it accomplished what they wanted it to accomplish, what do you think that looks like? And do you think we achieved that? Um, I think, I think they definitely achieved it. I think, um, I think like I, like I mentioned before that, that love of first sight, you know, kind of idea and manipulating yourself to go first to kind of achieve a pretty nasty combo like that one really kind of highlighted like, Oh, like we need to revisit this rule. Like this is how redemption's always been played, but now that we're introducing these more complex, you know, elements like, uh, you know, uh, lost soul abilities or you know, our different lost soul abilities and star abilities, like we really have to kind of revisit the idea. So you know, they kind of worked on that and and changed it to random. And I think I think it did have the intended impact. I mean. Like, you know, nobody at Nationals this year got to choose to go first. And, you know, um, the randomness, uh, you know, decided who what was going to happen. And then players like, you know, Jaden were prepared not only to have great first turns, but if they couldn't have the first turn, you know, be able to maybe counter uh, with certain abilities and, and, you know, make it to where they can survive to their second turn and do well. And he did. And, you know, and Jeremy and, and Josh also had some elements like that for themselves, like distressed, 
people uh, in Josh's deck and stuff like that. So I think I think they really did have the um, uh, intended effect they were supposed to have. And I don't think it was something that people really kind of expected to happen like that. But I think nobody wants to go back <laughs> to how it was before. Yeah. I think along that same thing, when you talk about some of the, the better players or the, the better deck builders, the ones that are more prepared to face, however the game unfolds, you know, try to have an answer for a variety of things so that you always have a response at least to remain, you know, competitive and have a chance at winning the game. Obviously, you mentioned Jaden, Josh, Jeremy, those players. Um, I think Derek's also another one that does a, a really good job because he's played kind of the same deck for the last few seasons, and he just keeps finding ways to make that competitive with whatever the meta turns into by just, all right, I'm going to add this to answer that. And the bones of it is still, you know, the same thing he's been playing, and it helps because he knows his deck so well, but then also – having answers to things. I think their goal to make it less, I think to take highly competitive players and put them on a seesaw. If you were to put a highly competitive player on a seesaw and a random little kid, an RLK, just for the sake of this, how before this season, how was the competition level between those? All right, if you're Seesaw, um, okay, you know, I, I don't know if a Seesaw works works best because is, <laughs> is the better player the one weighing down or the one going up? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to use this teeter to, to say that the, 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 the player that is highly competitive, that knows how to build a deck, is able to manipulate going first and all of that is far and away, like there's no shot the random little kid has. No. And I think over the last season and a little bit over the last season, like with some card design choices, you know, making Meek All Souls playable, I think, and uh, intentionally doing things to support that strategy takes, you know, new players and young players that don't have the resources to invest into the game immediately to get all the high end, you know, rare and ultra rare Lost Souls, I think making Meek Souls playable to interact with your defense to make it easier to block and whatnot, in addition to the rule changes to where that, you know, veteran player can't manipulate and I'm guaranteeing I'm going first and I'm obliterating you from the start, to just tone that down. Now it's random who goes first and you don't have, you know, with combination of the reserve rule and kind of taking away some of the broken cards from rotation, now you, you it, it's... It's not even because the player that is competitive and has been around for a while and is a good player by you know competitive standards, they're still able to navigate the course of the game a little bit better than a younger or you know newer player to the game. So there's still the advantage, but the advantage is more in your player skill versus yeah. you basically card sharking your way into right. wins by okay I'm doing all this turn one and you have no shot now we've balanced it out and that's why again talking about it's a perfect time for new players to jump in is a new player can go on to covenant games let's just say them when they get super packs in 
phase phase two combined with phase one super packs. You could buy a box of that and you could build two or three probable uh, decks out of it and be 100% competitive with veteran players and have a chance to win just from... I know that we talk about the power level of GOC being what it is, and, you know, it seems like it's, it's pushed the envelope a little bit, but that's not all a bad thing because you can also look at the positive of it because a new player can invest in just that set. Now they have GOC only to play to where they can get some RNRS points and some experience doing that without having to worry about not being able to afford the full card pool. And then also that deck is more competitive against the full card pool than previous sets. And so it's a good time to jump in the game and they could, they could invest into that set and build decks. And then with all of the changes that have happened in the game, that, that RLK that's got some GOC cards is the gap is much closer between the highly competitive player that sits down at the table with the RLK after all the changes that have happened in the year, in the past year, including this rule change. And I think that's what leadership intended to do was to make the game easier for players to come into. And I think it absolutely has done that with every rule change that they've done. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that I was not on board with every rule change like this one I was on board with, but you know, like we'll talk next week more in detail about the reserve rule. You know, I had a lot of let's call them reservations for pun intended, (laughs) but I, I didn't like that when it was announced. I, I mean, if we're going to point blank, I hated the idea because it felt really arbitrary to, Hey, you got to wait a turn to get into your reserve. But then if you think about it, it's called a reserve. Why would you get that first turn? Really? Like it's a reserve. So you can go to it later. You can't go to it later if you're going to it in turn zero. (laughs) Right. Like, so I, I mean, I, I, I'm on, I'm on board with it now, and and you know we'll talk and get into more of my thoughts on that next week. But I think the goal of leadership with every change that they've done in the last year, and with some and the last couple of sets, because they said they wanted to make intermediate sets or or, or you know for not really super advanced, they wanted to make LOC more intermediate so that people could come in and pick it up, and it wasn't it didn't have super complex abilities and interactions so that it would be better for LOC only. And they've carried that into GOC only power levels a little bit higher, but you know, simple, more, more streamlined interactions within the set. And I think all of those are just making the game, uh, close the balance between high end level players and just your every, everyday player that picks up the game. And I think that's what was intended and they've knocked it out of the park doing that in my opinion. No, I agree completely. And uh, you you made two really good points that I really thought about before with the the whole the with using meek souls and the GOC only. I mean, not only do we have these rules that are making the game a lot more fair, but now we have these play types like GOC and LOC only, to where you know you got a smaller pool of cards that you know um, you know you don't have to you know break the bank and and acquiring. Uh, to make a good deck out of and, and play in, in a tournament. And, you know, that offers way more uh, positive play for the the up-and-coming, you know, redemption player. And uh, I, I'm, like you said, I am I think we're in a really good spot with these games and these rule changes have been really reflecting that. All right, so let me ask you this, and we're, we're getting ready to wrap up here. In 
complete retrospective of the season, how you, you you know it turned out with the we'll just focus on the type one meta, even though I guess technically this all of these changes affected type two, but I don't have experience with that. I know you played a little type two this season, but I have zero experience with that, so I don't want to speak out of pocket about it. But in retrospect to how you know it turned out, how do you think the season would have gone had the number of lost souls still determined who chose to go first? And what do you think that looks like? Oh, I think it would have been, it would have been awful. It would have been, uh, it would have been essentially the, the deck I just used, um, you know, because you leverage, uh, life in the sun, uh, the explosive, you know, draw power of that with numerous of the stars and all those star characters, like you mentioned, like Amos playing. So you have all that put together. I mean, you would have zero deck every turn and just, you know, always go first with that explosiveness um, and, and hyper aggro stuff. And it just, it would have been crazy. It would have been so much worse. I think they would have banned the fusion widow so much uh, way sooner. And like, uh, and probably even numerous <laughs> with it. I think if Lost Souls still determined who went first and a player playing something like Circus that Jeremy was playing could manipulate their way into going first, um, <laughs> I think there would have been a lot more negative reaction to it throughout the season. And I know that there was some negative reaction and, and some, some very loud cries about the the fact that this interaction was discovered, found, and allowed to exist. You know, kind of like Joe mentioned, it, it's almost like the community had to, it, it feels a little bit like the community at times have to prove that an interaction is, is harmful. Right. But it's also the balancing game that leadership has of not wanting to react too harshly to that. You know, similar to, okay, they take Children of Light, and make a complete change of it, drop the ability to draw cards and turn it into a draw engine. And now Armor of God decks have not been competitive since, really. Like, I mean, I think that's fair to say, at least not on the, the high-end competitive scene. And a few years later, you have this rule that they decide, oh, well, we're going to change the activations to limit four. So now that would be capped at what a draw four mm-hmm. for Children of Light. Yeah. That'd so be at right. that, at that point, had they taken their time and not, you know, immediately made an errata for that after you know it went through nationals or whatever in that season, and done the activation, like if they had a little bit more time and didn't have to get an answer like that, maybe the activation thing would have came up sooner than it did, and you could have an armor of God deck that's limited to draw four each turn having a competitive, you know, main hero. And so, you know, it's it's always a balancing game yeah. for leadership. And no matter what decision they make, there's always going to be somebody on the other side of the fence like, no, you idiots did it wrong. And you know what? <laughs> Nobody gets paid to do this. Everybody's doing it out of the, the, you know, free will and their passion for the game. So not everyone's going to get it right, especially when they're juggling that they have full-time jobs, families, and some of the, the people are involved with ministries at their church. And, you know, that takes yeah. away time. Like, it's all a balancing thing and just making sure we keep perspective on that. But 
I think it would have been a super unhealthy thing if Jeremy could have dictated that he went first every game. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, at least not knowing he was going to get to go first. Where And, and you know, since we've had – I loved playing Rossetti this past season and doing the Patriarchs thing with, with the reset. I When Jay first done that uh, – put that deck out, I – was like, okay, this is, I think I called him. I was like, this is like the most interesting thing that the thing that's piqued my interest the most out of all the decks that have, you know, people have shared this season. And I ended up playing that at nationals, enjoyed it. But one of the cards in there that helps you reset is having the CBN reset. If the conditions are met on three nails, Mm -hmm. Jeremy having that in his deck and going first. Now, if he goes first and he goes off, that's one dead card in his in his deck. And it's there, so if he goes second, he potentially gets a chance to reset. Well, at the trade-off of a card in his deck, he still has kind of an answer for going seconds. But now you lean into now the decision is being made in reaction to what the opponent can do versus, hey, I'm just going to play the game regardless of what my opponent does. And I'm just going to drop these so I can grab these souls. When you can sit there and goldfish an entire hand through the battle phase and not have to worry about interaction from your opponent, and you can do as much as you could do before these rule changes, I think that's a problem. And now you can still do a lot, and we're talking about you know, how much is, is too much and, and the health of the game and, and that thing. And I think those are healthy conversations. I really do. But could you imagine all the things you could have done if you were able to go Exiles Remnant with Circus? Ooh. Like, yeah. the other person, you don't even need them to be there. They could literally just forfeit the game before sitting down because there's no reason for them to play. Or even uh, for Activation Rule, if that wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you That's what I'm saying, like, before terror, any of these rules this year. Invoking Terror, the whole territory, and... <laughs> I am cre- I am creator goes and gets your Ephesian widow off the rip. Oh. And yeah, like just super unhealthy. So when you compare what the season was even though it was not perfect and we still acknowledge there's there's work to be done by the conversations that we as a community are having, I think it's far and away better than it would have been had none of these changes been implemented. No, absolutely. Because yeah. had had these changes not happened all since nationals last year, this is this is what we're talking about, this crazy worst case scenario, Jeremy going off with Exiles Remnant, all of that. All of that before, you know, the changes after nationals last year was legal. Yep. And so all of these changes have stopped that. So you have to when you're talking about and trying to evaluate the job that leadership has done for the game and where we stand as a community with the state of the game, you have to look at the other side and say, well, if none of this happened and you put them all together because these changes were all, they made this rule change because they knew that was happening and this, they, they did all these and they're combined together. So if you take them all combined together and you throw them out, what's the game state look at look like? And we are much healthier for all the rules that have been implemented in the last year. Absolutely. I kind of put this down here, but I think after talking to you, we're we're both on the same wavelength here. But a year later, how how impactful do you think this rule is going to be for the long term future health of the game? Um, I think we both acknowledge that we do think it it was necessary and it's healthy for the game currently. But 
five, ten years down the road, do you think people are going to look back and be like, yep, that was a that was definitely a necessary rule? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, we kind of mentioned, you know, there's as the game expands with creativity and abilities and, and you know, it, star abilities will continue to be printed on cards and, and lost soul abilities, you know, change, you know, it, it's good to know that, you know, you can't manipulate, you know, your ability to go first and that because that will always be random, you know, I think that that will always make it fair. Uh, for the start of the game, at least, and uh, I, I don't, I don't see how it, it, you know, can't not be healthy for the future of the game. Yep, I definitely think it's it's one of those things that, just like the four activation rule, it's something that helps in the here and now, but ten years down the road, is going to be just such a, a vital part of like the makeup of the game that you're like, eh, it should have been in place this whole time. Yeah. And I I think even more so than than the four activation limit rule because that's one that you're still going to have to tell people that hey four activation limit rule okay um, you can't you can't activate something more than four times most people coming from another card game are coming from just no background in card games are going to be like you can activate a card four times yeah <laughs> you know like. But if you tell people you sit down and you're like, all right, we're going to flip a coin or we're going to roll a dice to see who goes first. That's just such a common thing in every other gaming sphere that they're going to be like, okay. And there's no, like, there's nothing arbitrary about it that they're going to have to think and be like, why is that? It's immediately just, oh, that makes perfect sense. We're going to, we're going to roll a dice. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah, I, w- I was so new to it that, uh, at booster draft at nationals, um, I was about to win a game. Uh, it, was, it was four to four. It was my turn. I come in for a rescue, uh, and he didn't have a blocker. Uh, where I, I took care of the blocker in battle, one or the other. And uh, he 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 shook my hand. You know, he said I had a good game. And then he saw he had gates of hell, and he like started just discarding a bunch of cards off the bottom of his deck and found an orange guy, brought him in battle, and blocked me. And then he won his next turn, and I was like distraught and you know, sad that I lost. And then someone reminded me later that, oh yeah, you know, he could have only activated gates of hell four times. I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely got to keep that in mind. Yeah. See, that's one that it's, it's good for the health of the game. Like you should only be able to, there should be a limit to how many you can discard off the bottom of your deck in a situation like that. It shouldn't be just, all right, I'm going until I get one, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's something that you have to use mental focus for. Like you have to keep that in mind and then you have to keep it in mind for every act uh, activation of every card that can activate, you know, simultaneously, but, but separately. So your Jonah goes off and your music leader goes off. All right. You keep up with them, but something else, something else happens and you know, they're, they're not together. So say Jonah wasn't down when you did the first music leader in that turn. Now, you know, music leaders at two and Jonah's at one and the numbers aren't always going to line up. So you have to keep all that separately, but they're still triggering, you know, simultaneously. And it it just takes a lot of focus, but sitting down and telling someone we're going to roll a dice to see who goes first just feels like, Mm -hmm. why was the game ever anything else? But then you think about, like we said at the beginning that it moved really slow. So maybe first turn, you know, one soul comes out for the for both players. Now that person should have the benefit of: Do I have a block to to 
you know, try to go first or, or whatever. And they're probably, I feel like, because I've played booster draft with older cards, Soul Gen was not as easy to come by. Oh, no. In, in old days. So, definitely I, not. Like, if you went first and you had a soul out, it didn't benefit you at all. So, if you won the dice roll or whatever, like, there's only one decision you would make in that situation because it's hard to generate souls. So, I could see, I could see the, the reason that it was implemented initially that just whoever has the soul makes the choice. But now then, then it turned into like most things, it just gets abused with aggressive decks. So I think pulling that back and, and all the changes this past year have just been great for closing that gap between veteran players and new players. And that's always long-term healthy for the game. So definitely I think this rule is healthy for the future of the game long term. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So with that, we will go ahead and wrap up this episode. This is number 42, and we're closing in on the one-year mark. At whatever point we do the one-year mark, I will be having a special guest on by the name of Mr. John Early. So he reached out and asked if he could be on the one-year episode. So... You got that to look forward to. I mentioned that we're going to have him or Jared. I swear, every time I say him on the podcast, <laughs> I don't like force the N on it. So I feel like people just hear H-I-M and they're like, who? <laughs> him. Him. No. <laughs> there we go. So Jared from Texas, we'll have him on in, in a couple of weeks. Next week, we'll talk about the reserve rule. So that's what we got to look forward to. I want to thank you, uh, you guys, for listening, and I want to thank you, Jonathan, for coming on and sharing your opinion on the state of the game and for just being a pretty cool dude. Oh, well, you know, no. Even though you, you discard my son of God and stuff. <laughs> it was my pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. And then just one last reminder for the Plus One Initiative, the form is out, and I will be sharing that link around on Discord on the boards and that will be reusable for you to do as many entries as you have people that you show the game to. So make sure you get on in on that, and we'll wrap it up here. Peace. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. As always, I want to thank you guys for listening and tagging along. I want to thank my friend Jonathan for coming on and joining the conversation here as we reviewed the change to determining who went first going from lost soul count to a random method this past season and kind of what we think is going to be uh, an impactful rule for the future of the game also want to encourage you to go and support our sponsors at covenant games if you need to buy some sealed product you can buy it there you can also buy family friendly games and pick up your threshing floor play play mat to support your favorite podcast and Also encourage you to share the game, share your faith, plant the seeds, let's reap the harvest. The submission form for the Plus One Initiative is live, so you can find that link or you can ask me for it and I will provide it and get out there and start sharing the game. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.